This is Everything Elite, the world's first and best All Elite Wrestling podcast. I'm AB. I'm back. I'm joined by my good friend, Nate, a.k.a. Epitasis. What's up, Nate? Hello, Aaron. Welcome back. You were in Egypt. Um, I know Kentucky's not playing, so what are you watching? Uh, turning on uh, some... National Basketball Association action. Okay. Uh, yeah, so Aaron, Aaron, newly refreshed and ready to dive back into the world of AW podcasting here. Um, how was Egypt? It was fucking crazy, man. It was so cool. That's good. I'm glad you weren't radicalized by the uh, Joker Bob Marley's. <laughs> I, I was, were... actually. Uh Yeah. Well, I don't know. I guess I did tweet about it, so you may or may not have seen this. But yeah, I just we were so I was floating down the Nile, and we were on our way to a Nubian village, and uh, we stopped at a little beachfront place so we could uh, put our feet in the Nile. And on when we stopped, I saw I don't know. There's like I don't know ten boats parked there. And maybe five of them had flags on them that were Bob Marley and then the Joker <laughs> right right next to him. Uh, go look, you know, go search my Twitter feed, I guess, and try to find it's, that. But. I mean, that's what else do you need to know? It's the, it's the yin and yang of, of humanity, <laughs> really. That's the, that's the angel and devil on your shoulder. Just the full spectrum in one flag. I, I guess the one question that I have for you, Aaron is where's our bob marley joker flags like were you able to find out were these handmade flags were these like just things that you could go out and buy a bunch of like did you bring any bob marley joker flags home for us uh mike my friends i did not and here's why i saw these flags these guys all had them i'm like i asked our tour guide i'm like hey why do these guys have bob marley joker flags and they're like well this guy's like well uh, the, the Nubians are like, okay, if you think this is going to get racist really quickly, so I'm going to try to avoid that. If you think of what you think an Egyptian person looks like, are you with me so far? No, I want to be clear. I'm not with Aaron and whatever he's about to say. <laughs> okay, well, there's people called Nubians. There was like an island and it ended up submerged and uh, underwater. So they like didn't have anywhere to live. Uh, so some of them went to the Sudan, um, and some of them stayed in Egypt, but like they look much more like Sudanese people than they look like Egyptian people. Um, so this guy's like, well, Bob Marley kind of looks like them, you know, plus they love weed. <laughs> that was his explanation. But I was like, okay, that, that all tracks, but why the Joker? And he didn't know why. So anyway, <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm going, we're going to this village. I'm going to see these flags for, for sale. That was just my assumption. And I was going to buy however many they had. I was just going <laughs> to buy them all. Uh, and I never saw one. Like, had I known that, I would have just asked one of the guys on the boats to sell me one. But um, I never saw one again. They were going to gouge you, but it would have been worth it, I think. Oh, it would have been super worth it. The exchange rate is insane. It's like... Fifteen and a half dollars to one Egyptian pound, or is it that's backwards? a terrible exchange rate. 
You mean it's one dollar to fifteen interest <laughs> yeah, amount? That's what I meant. Everybody knew what I meant. Come on, Mike. Yeah, well, that sounds so, pretty cool. Um, that was yeah. I, that's most of what I took from your your occasional dispatches to the DM was Egypt, Bob Marley, Joker flags. Um, yeah. a little bit of discussion about the uh, pantheon of deities. Yeah. Um. Yeah, any any other any especially uh cool sites was one pyramid better than the others was there uh especially cool village the coolest thing to me was the valley of the kings like we we got in all these tombs and pyramids and temples and like they would have the cool little paintings but all the color was really gone you know because they were so old but in the valley of the kings i don't know if it's just because it was found much later than uh than you know the other places but the paintings look like they just did them you know yesterday and they're like three thousand whatever years old uh so that was very cool i I took a selfie with uh king tut's mummy that was cool um yeah it was just the whole thing was sick it's like man how'd they do this shit (laughs) weird humans been around for a while and doing wild stuff really yeah, building, painting, dying. Yeah, like like smoking this, weed. <laughs> yeah, with the Joker. Some of the like the uh the pyramids or whatever were like built with like let's say uh red granite, right? There'd be like red granite used in part of it. And this would be in Giza, except red granite is only found in like Aswan, which was like a three and a half hour drive now from Giza. It's like, how the fuck did they get all that red granite there? And how long did it take? Red granite is like when red velvet powers up. (laughs) Yeah, sure. I was trying to think of a a better metaphor for powering up. (laughs) Couldn't get there. Logistics. You you tried. I was trying to think of the the My Hero Academia guy couldn't couldn't pull that name. I mean, it, it's just like one of those things that you when like you hear about like oh we're able to move this red granite that far and you're like I I know that like the Acadians had some like technology to do stuff that they devised like way ahead that makes you kind of wonder like maybe archaeology is more interesting than I thought it was. I'm yeah, learning the, stuff tonight. The one that the story that my a tour guide loved was that there was like a temple where there were these two obelisks out front and so they were like one piece so like this huge thing of fucking granite and one of them was gone because at some point some egyptian king gave it to the french and uh the story was that it, it took the egyptians who who put it there seven months to move it from you know where they where they made it to out to this place. And it took the French seven years to get it from there to France. That's all. Import jokes. Uh, That's right. We got import jokes. So everybody makes fun of the French anywhere you go. Because the French, they're they're taking so many days off. Am I right, you guys? (laughs) That's right. And all their their movies are are just uh, made for the directors to be selfish and and do boring things about what they want to watch. Yeah, King Tut, Mr. No Days Off. The original. 
<laughs> they were they were also like anytime we had two two separate tour guys at different times. Like anytime King Tut came up, they would be like, King Tut, a fucking nobody. Only famous because of how they found him. It's like they just they like could not give a shit less about King Tut. Rolling it, rolling their eyes. Oh, these guys talk about fucking King Tut again. Jesus. Yeah. And they were uh, love that. I love that. A, yeah, Did they, they weren't have, impressed. Uh, what's the what's the Egyptian hipster's favorite pharaoh or king? Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of a lot of options. A lot of good ones, really. Okay. Uh, I mean, that's what you know, I want to know. I want to know what the you know the the bleeding edge of uh, Egyptian coolness thinks is the coolest king. Uh, yeah, I don't know that I got. I don't know that I hung out with the bleeding edge of Egyptians' coolest of Egypt's coolest while I was there. Mm. But you know, that's too bad. You know, you got your Ramses the second, who had like 150 uh, male children. <laughs> you got your hot hot suit, who was a woman but ruled as a king by convincing the like bribing the priest basically to go along with this like divine birth story that she came up with. Ah, what a worker. Yeah. That was sick as fuck. Uh, you had Akhenaten who was like, uh, fucking thicker than a Snickers. (laughs) (laughs) And like had this statue made of him where he's like, it's just fucking thick as fuck. It's like, (laughs) God damn nothing on Akhenaten oh my god (laughs) (laughs) I love you want to put that in the show who was was the person you actually said that about Uh, (laughs) used to wrestle in this promotion yeah much more much more problematic Shauna the uh, the, the fascist (laughs) all right well I'm glad we uh, we took it to that level that was productive. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, that's what you get. You ask me questions. That is. One of these days, I'm going to learn my fucking lesson. <laughs> you think you would, but here we are, fucking 168 episodes in. Uh, Mike is also here. <laughs> What's up, Mike? <laughs> I almost introduced myself when I chimed in the first time. Just, uh, but I, I'm, do- I'm doing all right. I... You know, uh, I don't think we're coming back from that. So let's just lean into this good. Okay. Hey, Twitter at everything AEW is where you can find us. I'm at Aaron like the car. It's where you can find the Bob Marley Joker flag. Uh, Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at Fuji. Hey, maybe I, I don't have a pin tweet anymore. Maybe I should make the Bob Marley Joker flag. My pin tweet it might be good. I I'm think you have to pin to. tweets. That's fair. That's fine. Uh, subscribe to our podcast, please. Whatever podcast app you use. Uh, if you use the Apple podcast app, give us a five-star rating and review. If you use Spotify, give us a five-star rating and the best and really only way that matters to support the show. is go to patreon.com slash everything elite and sign up. Lots of people are doing it. So I have to recommend it. If you want to be trendy, we will kick off the show as we do with elite. Or delete. Did you guys do elite or delete while I was gone? Well, you didn't listen to every episode, Aaron. Yikes, man! I didn't even watch Dynamite, so no, I did not listen to. Yeah, the I have to watch. I mean, I listened to like three NBA podcasts. I don't watch any NBA games. Um, I I just didn't. 
you know? Yeah, we did it. We did the thing. Okay, cool. Uh, well, let's do it again, I suppose. Nate, uh, what was your favorite thing from this week's episode of Dynamite? Uh, well, this is easy. I'll take the layup pick, fish in a barrel pick. Uh, there was a Texas tornado match on this show where they really decided they were going to go all out and really try to uh, one-up the pay-per-view match featuring some of the same talent. We had the Hardys, Darby Allen, Sting against the Andrade family office, right? Butcher and the Blade, some other people. Who are the other people? Private Party. Private Party. Uh, this was very fun. You know, I, I think that it's probably underappreciated how hard it is to have a good tornado match. You know, when you're having a tag match, you have a very clear um, focus of the match where, you know, you've got two guys in the ring holding the attention, working the match, doing their spots, telling a story, whatever it is. Uh, but in a tornado match, you've got, in this case, eight guys all around the ring where at any given moment, you know, they could be doing something boring. It's like like a bad uh, battle royal where guys are just trading little punches in the corner or whatever and waiting for something to happen. Uh, but we didn't really get any of that here. And it, it really hasn't been a problem in this promotion, I don't think, because uh, there was another good tornado match on the pay-per-view. And this one, they all went and pulled out all the stops, pulled out the big spots. Everybody was super over. Uh, really up and down this show, the crowd was reacting big. I mean, there's a wealth of genuine stars in this company uh, and this crowd received them like stars uh, and we got big spots private party doing the double side effect to matt hardy off the stage uh where uh you know i don't know that you could have better protected matt hardy from a bump it looked like on that uh you had jeff hardy you know what was it a week after i don't know doing like a worrying middle middle rope splash uh, and then doing his swanton where he fully just put the entirety of his body and into the midsection of, I don't remember, Isaiah Cassidy, maybe. Uh, Jeff Hardy going all the way up to the top of a very tall ladder and then climbing onto the, I don't know, a, a fixture on the interior of the concourse uh, and doing a swanton from a great height onto the Butcher and the Blade. Shot very well with Darby in the foreground of the shot. Uh, just kind of leaning against the wall, checking it out uh, was very cool. Of course, you got the ongoing sort of parallels with Darby and Jeff Hardy that they're, you know, teasing out here. Um, so, yeah, this was, I think, the peak of the show on a show that really, I think, started off hot and really felt like it was going to be something special and then uh, kind of just fell off a cliff with the content at about the midpoint. Yeah, they can't miss these matches now. And, I mean, the Tornado match at the pay-per-view was my favorite match of the show just because it really plays into a lot of people's strengths and what they have available at this point in their lives. And this one, they just doubled up on that. I mean, I thought it was kind of, like, sweet and awesome, like, the idea that, like, for the live crowd who stayed in their seats and then also Matt Hardy so he didn't have to go up and down all over that stuff with how he moves around – doing the concession brawl, but still having Matt Hardy deal with private party during the, uh, while they're doing that, I thought that was like a cool split screen kind of thing. And yeah, like butcher was insane in this. We, it just was a really fun match and everything about it hit the, the, the right moments. And, you know, 
it, it was something that I mean, Sting had a little bit of a rough finish, but then saved it. And the crowd, just being the crowd, it, it the crowd popped more for it when he finally got in the position for the death drop. So, I mean, this was just sick across the board. Yeah, it's it's fun. I'm sure we'll talk about this more on part three of This Is Sting, Mike. But uh, it's fun to see Sting like finally fully just becoming an old guy wrestler. Uh, whoever said in the Discord, you know, he just is like a lucha brawler now. Uh, yeah, it's like he's embraced everything that uh, you finally would want out of a 60-year-old wrestler. So he fucking rocks. It, yeah, it was great fun. The Jeff Hardy bump was fun. Everything was fun. Yeah, I forgot Darby going down the stairs. That oh, was yeah. a very uh, compelling way to go to the first ad break of the night, I think. Uh, you know, staying one of his better no-sells of a chair shot. And then doing a big crazy face. Yeah, good pro wrestling content. Absolutely. Everything was good here. Uh, Mike, what's your elite pick? What's your favorite thing from the show tonight? Yeah, uh, Nate picked the easy one here. I really like the main event. Uh, Beaver Boys, uh, John Silver and Alex Reynolds versus Chris Jericho and Daniel Garcia. For one, uh, Matt Menard, Daddy Magic, is going to become the most overact in this group very easily. And he's in the group just works already at a level that there's not a lot of growing pains like somehow like a little bit for like the pinnacle and all of this like this is a group that has gelled immediately i thought that uh, jericho is really i think he's put together some like the more complete matches like i mean we talked about a guy who's embracing being old jericho hit like the first line salt in weeks that didn't make me once <laughs> like that was really fun and then yeah, John Silver it, with this crowd doing his like charge up, all the stuff he does at ringside leading to the flying crossbody. That is like the most easily bought near fall ever because the crowd gets so into it by the end of it. And the Austin crowd really just buys into it, just buys into it even more and elevated it. And it was something that in a show that dragged, like finishing out with like a match that the crowd was just molten for and having a lot of variety within that match. I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Um, you know, the, the Beaver Boys have some uh, very cool spots that have yet to, you know, kind of become uh, uh, familiar to me, I guess, that uh, 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 Tope Brain Buster is a sick spot that you don't see five other teams do. Um, like you said, John Silver, his, like, hot tag sequence where he runs wild on everybody – uh, always gets people fired up. They have that uh, very cool double team sequence with the stunner into the German um, that always drives people crazy. Um, so that's all fun. Um, and yeah, the Jericho Appreciation Society Act uh, is definitely hitting. No complaints there. You know, they've got Daddy Magic, um, uh, you know, kind of doing something smart with the song where he's you know, kind of taking it in a heel direction, even though they're not actually changing it, which I think works, um, and, you know, continues to put Jericho over as this guy with an outsized, uh, uh opinion of his own importance. Um, I guess if I have a complaint, uh, not a lot, I mean, really nothing at stake here, which, you know, is fine. 
they just wanted to do a hey jericho appreciation society first match together and they're gonna wrestle the beaver boys um i guess i just kind of is there another match on this show that had more at stake i, don't, I guess there wasn't really um but it was just kind of like a hey the, here's two teams they're gonna have a wrestling match in the main event um but uh, you know they got a lot out of a little because uh crowd loved it so can't really hold that against them i suppose uh yeah i agree especially you know i would say daniel garcia was a real bright spot uh you know because his part in the the promo early on in the show like you talked about mike was also really good he was strong he just like grabbed onto this character uh very quickly and it's very fun you know, he's a fun guy to watch so that's been nice and uh you referenced this a little mike and i'm just gonna roll it right into my elite uh, i'm gonna steal what nate usually does the crowd my as my elite a great crowd even the shitty uh adam cole jay lethal match they were fucking on fire for so that made it a lot of fun from the very beginning of the show all the way through uh they were excited and worked up and uh doing jesus chants so you know really hard to complain about the crowd oh i'll complain about the jesus chants that was like a pretty pointed shot at mjf being a jewish man well someone said there was someone dressed as jesus in the crowd and by someone i mean a person who was at the show mm. okay that-, yeah, that that was not evident um i did think that was, you know, the bright spot of what MJF did is when he, you know, uh, took that and ran with it and and made a heel line out of it. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was pretty uncomfortable for that. Uh, yes, I would agree. If that were the the point of it, that it would have been uncomfortable. Uh, I'm hoping that our live report was correct. That it was simply a reference to a man dressed as Jesus. Maybe we'll find out. Well, you know, still still other times during the show they could have chanted uh, for the In- guy. Indeed. No doubt about that. Uh, Mike, you you have any crowd thoughts? Yeah, it just was something that for even the matches that kind of were thrown together <laughs> today and yesterday, like the Cole and Lethal match, like it, it's a match that I wasn't super into, but the crowd really brought it together. And I mean, CM Punk and FTR, they really like that was a match you could tell they were feeding for that. And it's nice to have a television product that the crowd actually like lifts up the uh, viewing experience versus like I, I I know like with like Japan with COVID and clap crowds that's starting to uh, peter out a little bit and with uh, AEW during like the dailyest place era they did what they could but it just is something that you could tell like especially like this crowd added a whole lot to the show. And yeah. Yeah, the uh like you said, the Cole Lethal match, that was a good example where, you know, crowd very into both of those guys. Um, and you know, even a match like uh Red Velvet and Layla Hirsch, where I don't you know, neither of those women are probably as over as Adam Cole or Jay Lethal, uh, but the crowd, you know, still kind of uh followed the story of the match. Uh, you know, they're always very good at timing their you know heat and comeback where they come right out of the ad break and all of a sudden the baby face is just about to start coming back and then you know coincidentally that's when the crowd starts you know a let's go red velvet chant or whatever um and it ends up working well i think probably makes 
uh, some of those TV break matches seem hotter on TV than they than they may be in the building. Um, but yeah, that, definitely an upgrade. I think this crowd over the last couple of weeks or the that one Florida crowd we had recently, where it had some uh, some down moments. Our listener elite comes from our patron Mike the Professor, who uh, his elite pick was. Lambert, the co-champion. We haven't discussed that yet. Yeah, it's a good heel bit for him. Um, and they they kind of tied it into the story of that segment. So that all, that all worked, I think, for as far as what Dan Lambert was doing. Yeah, really, that's, <laughs> that's the recurring story with these uh, feuds is, hey, whatever Dan Lambert's doing is working for his character. And, and what he's supposed to be doing in this feud. What the people around him might be doing, maybe not necessarily on the same page, but if everybody got on the same page as Lambert and played their role opposite him, then uh, <laughs> everything would make more sense. Yeah, you know, uh, Lambert held this segment together because <laughs> outside of it, it was Sammy and Ty. It just wasn't working. But Lambert, yeah, like when I, like Nate's saying, like, Jericho got on Lambert's page, and that's what made the Inner Circle American Top Team feud really resonate there. And we've seen people who haven't gotten really like Lambert, you know, doing the co-champion thing. It also like plays up the fact that the dumb double belts. It's like, yeah, the dipshit manager has the belt now, and he's going to make it the most important thing ever to him. So, yeah, like Lambert was best part here. All right, if you want to be featured on our E-Leader D-Leader, you just got to uh, subscribe to our Patreon and go in the Discord. Um. All right. Let's talk about what we didn't like. Our delete picks, Nate. What did you think was the the worst thing on the show tonight? Well, I don't know if this was the worst thing necessarily. Probably, probably wasn't really. But what annoyed me the most um, was this the, during this Layla and Red Velvet match, um, which you know, again, have to do the disclaimer that you know I appreciate there trying to do this, you know, additional women's storyline with Layla turning on Red Velvet and Chris Statlander um, and Layla getting this this kind of heel push now. Um, and, the, you know, the match was even solid. I think uh, there was maybe one kind of out of sync moment toward the end of it um, when they were doing like some, some punch parries uh, and then Red Velvet lost her footing. Uh, but you could kind of play that off as, you know, Layla take advantage of that to hit a big suplex off the, off the ropes. Uh, but other than that, you know, I, I think a pretty solid match. And like I mentioned, crowd pretty much got into the match and got behind it. Um, but what annoyed me about it was, uh, especially during that, that, that moment I talked about, uh, Excalibur really trying to push this story of, Oh, Layla, you know, turned these, these two women were such close friends and Layla turned on her close friends Red Velvet and Chris Statlander, uh, and pushing it there to the to the point where he's not calling the action uh, because he's trying to get this storyline out. And during the entire ad break, just ad nauseum sort of mentions of, oh, Layla, you know, we thought she was <laughs> such good friends uh, to Red Velvet. It's like, no, we fucking didn't. Like, <laughs> no, you know. Not for one minute did anyone believe that Layla was good friends with Red Velvet and Chris Stalander. Just never occurred 
on television. Like, I, I remember there was like a brief period where Layla was like adjacent to the best friends. Um, I remember there was uh, a cute little like post match where Chris Stalander, I think, celebrated with uh, Ruby and I don't know who the, was a Hikaru Shida, maybe. Um, but it's very TNA impact wrestling to try and push the idea that, yeah, I know you've never seen Layla Hirsch be friends with red velvet and Chris Stalander before, but they're such good friends. They're such good friends. And, uh, you know, the first time you ever hear about them being good friends is going to be when Layla turns on them in a dastardly way. And she's fed up with her friends and now she's going to be heel against them. And it, it just, it's totally hollow rings false. You know from the beginning of the storyline that it's just a fake storyline, which, you know, of course, we know that they're all fake storylines. But you have to establish something. You have to invest the time. You have to put the money in the bank where we actually have any kind of reason or there's some kind of dynamic where, oh, you know, I kind of like seeing Layla and Red Velvet together. They have a, a kind of good little thing going here on Rampage or whatever. And you have to have some sort of investment in that idea before you're going to make me care that Layla turned on her good friends. Like, it's just very uh, patronizing, I guess I would say. And it felt with the commentary that they were trying, they thought by mentioning it a lot, that would get the story over. And that that's just very hollow idea um, that you can kind of talk your way into something working like that when it's just not going to work again. You know, it's fine. I like that. They're doing some kind of push with Layla. Um, you know, I don't know what the end game of it is really at this point, but they're making an effort. There was an attempt, but, uh, yeah, you know, it's not going to work on (laughs) any sort of level where anybody has any actual emotional buy-in to this story of she turned on her friends. No, it's a wrestling angle and we all know it. Uh, and, and it's patronizing and kind of condescending to be like, well, we're telling you they're friends. So you have to believe it. And it's something that I I think I lucked out by having the uh, TNT feed where I didn't have that in the commercial break. Because, like, they did uh, – Excalibur did mention that a bunch. Well, like, he did. That was, like, the obviously the big note for the match is Hammer This Home, which, you know, that, that gets Excalibur kind of out, out of the role he's best at as well. So not, not, not only a, a bad use of time, it's bad use of talent available. For me, it's just this whole entire feud has felt hollow. So like you, the, the, this being your tipping stone with it, Nate, just kind of like lines up with me. Like the, the fact that Chris Satlander is banned from ringside. Aaron, we went into this for a while on light this morning and it just is, it, it's forcing artifice in here. And it's something. Why was she uh, banned from ringside? <laughs> we, yeah. Why would she, the person that's trying to stop the cheating? Right. Yes. Yeah. 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 So it, it, it's just one of those things that like, I, I mean, one, the, the whole thing with like Rosa afterwards is just like, okay, like at a certain point, it's like low effort and then like trying to cover that it's low, not, oh, they're trying to act like it's not low effort, but it comes off insincere, like the, like how you're saying it. Yeah, it sucks. I mean, uh, they don't care. It's, and why, <laughs> why is this? 
the women's feud that gets like uh, it's on TV every fucking week. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's like they're trying to make up for the time they didn't give it to start, right? It's like, well, you know, we did this story with Layla and Red Velvet and Chris Statlander, and it was backstage segments that were, you know, on Rampage or something. Then it's like, oh, th- hey, by the way, all these women you, who you never see, they're friends, and oh, now their friendship is falling apart. Uh, and then after they got past that, it became, yeah, I don't know why it became this, the story that gets all this time. Like they think time is going to fix the fact that there wasn't any buy-in in the first place when really it just exacerbates the issue and it, and it makes it worse. And it, and you go, why am I seeing this again? I didn't care about this story in the first place. And now we're getting this to the detriment of, you know, seeing any number of other women or other stories. Um, yeah, it's frustrating. But yeah, the Thunder Rosa thing was, they didn't let her talk. She's the new champion. I don't know. You, you tell me you're not dying to buy a ticket to see Red Velvet uh, give Layla Hirsch her comeuppance? Man, I, yeah, I, I'm not. I like Red Velvet. I like Layla Hirsch. It's not a, Neither of them needed a emotionally intense story about betrayal or whatever it is that they're going for. Neither of them need that at this stage in their in their careers or in their development. Um, and they definitely don't need it when it's not working because then it just works against them. You're chasing uh, bad money with good money at that point. Yeah, yeah. It's very it's very impact storyline to me. All right, Mike, uh, what was your least favorite thing from the show this week? Well, I, well, I just mentioned it. It is the, the, the uh, Thunder Rosa, Nyla Rose, and Vicky Guerrero uh, just feud start segment. All of this just is like it feels like every, t- every time that there's a new champion, the first defense is against Nyla Rose, who they don't ever really build up that well nowadays, especially since she lost the title to Sheeta two years ago. It, she, she dominates people on dark and elevation and that's really all she does until someone needs to have a first title offense and then vicky and rosa the, the, like going off on like vicky maga vicky going like go across the get, swim back to the rio grande like all that stuff it just was one of those things that like you probably could have told a cooler way to have vicky guerrero and thunder rosa like have like some reason to feud and like you know just in general like with all of that but you don't need as Thoro said in, in the chat you don't need to always make it feel like that Nyla Rose is the uh, is the female Lance Archer and that's what it really feels like at this point it just feels very kind of trite yeah this sucked um I like Nyla I, I would like to see Nyla on TV way more and get oh, actual yeah. pushes. But yeah, like you said, she doesn't get built up outside of her, uh, you know, a, a default title challenge that we know she's going to lose. Um, and, you know, it's fine for there to be a wrestler who's kind of like a safe first defense. I don't mind that. Uh, you know, I didn't mind that with with Adam Cole or Adam Page doing it with Lance Archer. Because, uh, you know, they, they had a great match. Um, but... 
yeah, when Nihilus never on TV otherwise, uh, it just doesn't carry any weight with it. It just, you know, it's a foregone conclusion. And yeah, I, I think Vicky sucks. Um, have since day one. Uh, she screams. Uh, she's racist. <laughs> uh, Nyla doesn't need her at all. Nyla can talk better than her. Um, so that sucks. Uh, I, you know, Thunder Thunder Rosa is is pretty cold to me. Um, the feud with Brit kind of dialed down my interest in really either woman. So uh, yeah, I don't I don't care about this. A lot of anti women talk from from Nate on the show. Look, I, I hate women. I don't think women should be in wrestling. <laughs> this is going to sound sexist. Before I say this, this is going to sound sexist. Yeah. Um. Yeah, they should do good women's wrestling instead of bad women's wrestling. Is my it's a hell of a take. <sighs> Let's see. Where do I want to go here? I think I'm just gonna I'm just gonna delete Sammy Guevara. He was very bad. This promo was very bad. Uh Ty was cool, her part of the promo, but these two together <laughs> is just not compelling. It's not it's it's bad for Ty. It's gonna fuck her up. Uh you know, Sammy did a call yeah, well, on, the, on the belt us today. Yeah. Yeah. All the, all the consequences fall to tie in the interest of fairness. It, I think it will and should also fuck Sammy up. Yeah. Is this, uh, I don't know. It's just not good. <laughs> it was just bad. Um, it's like, what was the point of his promo? Well, it was to set up, Whatever's happening next with his little feud. I mean, yeah, it, it, it it's not gonna it's not working in the intended way, uh, which is, you know, he's supposed to come out as the defeated champion. He was over as a babyface with that belt, undoubtedly. Crowds yeah. uh, went crazy for his defenses. Uh he got, you know, big chance in the middle of every inner circle segment. Uh that was all success. That is despite Sammy Guevara is not a natural babyface. He is a natural heel. That is the guy who, you know operating at his default level with his face. He's a guy you want to see get punched in the face. So it was an achievement, I think, to get that guy over as a baby face. Um, but they've basically gone all the way away from that now. You know, the idea is he's going to come out and he's going to say, well, I'm so crazy and I don't care. You know, uh, it, it's going to cost me uh, pain at the end of my life. It's all worth it because I get to come out here and do crazy shit for you. Uh, so he's, you know, still a valiant baby face, even though we lost the title. Uh, and then we have the dastardly Dan Lambert come out here to, to you know, heal against him and and make us want to see Sammy beat him up. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they uh, the dynamic does not work uh, to babyface Sammy um, anymore. I don't. I'm trying to think if there's a way. I mean, my perception of this is a lot colored by their Twitter presences. Um, and I, I, I observed last week that Chris Jericho, you know, he's he's continues to be one of the smarter guys in wrestling. He knows that whining about your mentions on Twitter is a heel move. That makes you a heel. 
if you whine about your your Twitter mentions, you're obnoxious, you're boring, you're unbearable, uh, and nobody likes you. Uh, Sammy and Ty, that's all they do on Twitter is they whine about their mentions. I understand that you know there are toxic people on Twitter and there's toxic people in wrestling fandom, and everyone is awful. Um, that's 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 everything. First of all, everyone is awful everywhere, uh, and it's not my fucking problem. It, it's your problem, and I don't want to hear about it. Uh, and I, you know, maybe that's maybe that's unfair. I, I'm sure there are people who, say, oh, we, you know, there are people who want to get on a soapbox and say we have to address toxicity in the wrestling fandom, and uh, you know, people tweeting awful things, and you can't, you 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 can't do it. You you can ignore it. You cannot. Uh, to talk about David Bixon's fans for the same time. You can't get on there and tut-tut people and lecture them and point your finger at them and go like, do not say that uh, uh, Pete Rosenberg paid $25,000 to be on WWE TV. You can't do that because when you tell people not to do something, they will do it more to annoy you. Uh, so that makes some heels already. Um, talking about how they had sex with the, with the belt and uh, they got their bodily fluids on it. That was a funny little punchline to get one over on the heel. You know, that worked, I think. Uh, but yeah, something about their dyna- dynamic um, where they're like, so it, it they don't come across like, oh, we're so in love. We're so adorable. We're such a cute couple. Uh, it's very much like a <laughs> adversarial thing where it's like, look how hot we are. <laughs> oh, we have so much sex. I don't know. That again might be just colored by the perception of their Twitter presences. Uh, but, but I mean, what the fuck? I'm in the office nine hours a day. I look at Twitter a lot. <laughs> but no, you're right. Like two hot people talking about fucking. That's a heel thing. Like that's not most people are going to be yeah. like, fuck you for being so hot and just having <laughs> hot sex with each other. Like, I mean, you know, I don't, yeah, I, it, I don't know. It, I don't hold it against Ty. I do hold it against Sammy. That it's well, of so course. That's, that's yeah. That see, I'm taking the woke side of it though. Uh, somehow. Now, Nate, with, with the way you're talking about this, do you think this is a real couple? Because the, what you just described are actions of a fake couple. Oh, I definitely believe they're a real couple. Okay. Uh, it, it it's something that I've always had this issue with Sammy. I even when, like when he started with the first time he walked out in the inner circle was getting like massive face pops. I, I was surprised Nate because he's not a natural baby face. And it was like, wow, he was overcoming as you aptly put it, the face. Everyone wants to punch. He overcame that. And, you know, he found a vein with that. And it's just, it's something about him. And it's not even like a sincerity thing. It's not like, well, like an investment thing. It's just some things that like some people are natural uh, good guys and some people are natural bad guys and he comes off like a natural bad guy and you know it feels awkward at sometimes yeah I, I mean i do think there is an element of sincerity authenticity that's lacking in him but it's not like specific to him i think it's just like people of our generation detect like a base level of psychopathy sociopathy in like every youtuber on zoom every zoomer youtuber Right, right, it's like, right. Oh, those, nine hours a day in an office. Yes. But what else are we going to and, do? And they have, you know, their dead YouTuber eyes, and they, uh, you know, talk fakely to the camera and have their fake little YouTuber lives, um, and it just, they just seem like little alien sociopaths. 
Um, and that's like what Sammy is, uh, which is why I was like so impressed with his performance as a babyface because he's like, you know, he, he was able to to successfully cover that up to a degree and he was able to perform in the ring to a degree that made people like him and find things to like in him. Um, but yeah, when you're like <laughs> flaunting your your hot celebrity couple, um, and I, you know, I, I didn't really want, there is also the element that he did propose to his girlfriend on television. Like it's not, I don't really care about that. Uh, but as a television product, you know, it, you still remember it and you still kind of laugh about it, right? Where you're like, you know, Sammy gets in the ring. And he's like, I do still have this one thing, this ring. And you're like, oh yeah, I remember the last time you had a ring in the ring. Uh, and it's just kind of a silly little thing, but it factors in. I don't know. This is not, these two as an on-screen couple does not benefit them. Uh, and I wonder if they figure that out. I hope so. I hope they do because... Uh, the crowd likes Ty, so I hope they don't fuck that up. I'm rooting for these kids, Aaron. I'm not rooting I'm- for them. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I'm rooting against them. Okay. <laughs> I mean, look. Don't okay. Don't follow Ty on Twitter. Follow Ty on Instagram first of all. If you want to follow her anywhere, you don't have to read about her mentions there. My point is this: Look, Ty is a very attractive woman, and it's. It, it's not even it's turning her as a hot woman heel to me personally. And that's why I p- am opposed to it basically. Yeah, no, I'm trying to find a, uh, you know, some way that we can say that without saying it, Aaron. I already yeah. said it. I, I just, I, know. I just, I just did it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's annoying to me. Yeah. We're trying to, we're trying to protect the brand here, Aaron. <laughs> What a, I, I wonder what people think of as our brand. Well, sophomoric, I know. No, yeah, I don't want to hear uh, what anyone <laughs> thinks of it, really. <laughs> I mean, no, I don't either. I just wanted to pontificate on it <laughs> and not hear any feedback. Mm. That's the podcast, basically. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see. Oh, no, I deleted that. So now it's uh, listener delete time. Uh, thanks for, I definitely didn't create this patron. Uh, this isn't a, a fake account that I started for sure. Uh, Twitter, or I'm sorry, patron Akil, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, deletes MJF's soliloquy. Was not me, was a patron deleting the MJF promo from tonight. Yeah, this was, um, this to me illustrated why those other promos that you didn't like Aaron were so good because they weren't this basically this was him just kind of going back to basics and doing like hey I'm gonna come out and do cheap heel heat about the town that I'm in and then I'm gonna talk for a long time about each one of these guys and do my little digs um which is why the the line about Jesus was the best part of it because it was the only thing that felt you know visceral and real and had any authenticity Uh, and the rest of it was kind of like here comes the cheap heat about my two feuds. Um, so yeah, I, I get that. I My favorite part was when he said, I'm going to start calling you a pig because you're a pig. I, I, you know, the pig part was actually maybe the best part of the cheap heel heat kind of thing. Cause 
I don't know. It is kind of fucked up to call somebody a little pig. But it's not, you know, it's not just being like, you're a piece of shit. I mean, it's it's better than be like, you're going to die and I'm going to piss on your grave. That's hacky. That's hack. Uh, uh, you know, I'm being so gross. That's the, that's the Bella Twins going, I wish you died in the womb, right? Which is why pig is better than that. Pig is just like a, a nasty thing to call somebody. I got to say, I would pop huge if he would say, if he said, I wish you would have died in the womb to Wardlow. Well, if he said it as a reference to the Bella <laughs> Twins promo, then yes. <laughs> I mean, there's also the obvious. They're going to make sure it's okay with the Christoffersons because you're going to get War Pig chance. Like, War Pig's going to become a thing now. So, you know. What's uh what's Jody doing? I you know, Jody Christofferson, I have not seen on shows. You feel like he would want to, you know, control his narrative. But I don't Last know. Last time I saw him, I think was definitely an evolved show. Yeah, he, he did the China tour. He definitely was brought on the China tour because of being uh Chris Christofferson's son. But yeah, uh, it it's something with these MJF like views, like the and the storylines that come of it that like you kind of know where it's going to go beat for beat. So like him saying pig instead of like, I don't know, calling him like a domesticated dog or cat or something like that. And made like some analogy there. Like that was new, but I have to be honest, like at a certain point, like MJF stuff, like, like saying he was going to piss on CM Punk's grave the, and the way he like stared down the barrel of the camera, got right into the corner cam with that. I was like, Oh yeah. Nope, this is what you do next, MJF. And at a certain point, this felt like the most like like checklist MJF to just soliloquy outside of the Jesus part. What do you guys think of uh, Scorsese's Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore? Haven't seen it. Nah, well, Chris Christopherson's in it. He's also in Blade. He is. Um, that's the last thing I saw Chris Christopherson in. I think my mom had a lot of Chris Christopherson records, so I think I have some oh. in, in my closet over here. Do you? I love Chris Christopherson. He seems like the kind of whatever that is, Americana that I would enjoy. Uh, he's he's very good. Uh, but he's also a very good actor. Yeah, he's kind of uh, kind of cool to see him turn up in things. Hell's Gate. Oh, I'm sorry, Heaven's Gate. Yeah. Like... He was in the 76 stars born. I'm definitely not looking through his Wikipedia page. Remember uh, movies that Chris Christopherson was in. He's I did look at though. Jody's cage match and it looks like he's done as a 2019. If you want to listen to some Christopherson, Nate, uh, border Lord is going to be my, my suggestion. The border Lord, just border Lord. No, the. Mm, okay. <laughs> It's it's an excellent that makes, that makes me that makes me less interested. <laughs> All right, that's that's fine, whatever you know. But it's a it's a very good album. What else was he in? Dolphin Tail Two, sure. Dolphin Tail. There was a Dolphin Tales Two. Absolutely. Ah, well done. I I just like one summer. I just watched. I think every. Scorsese film in in order. I just watched uh, Irma Vep. Have you ever seen Irma Vep? I don't think I have. 
great Sounds movie. Fun. It's uh, Olivier Asayas. Ah, sure. Uh, stars Maggie Chung. Okay. This uh, this was no, one no. of those. I just felt terrible after work yesterday. It's like came home and just lied on the couch. It's just like I don't want to do anything. And one of those rare movies where you like put it on and by the end of it you're like, yeah, I'm alive. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I recommend that. In, no, in Chris two- Christopherson. In 2009, Asaya signed a petition in support of film director Roman Polanski, well, calling sure. for his he's release. A, he's a Frenchman. What are you? <laughs> this was at the, oh, the show, at the top of the show when I said French directors just make movies to entertain themselves and don't care about the audience. That was a reference to Irma Vep, but that was not me just burying the French. <laughs> okay. I just, I just thought you were burying the French. <laughs> oh, Summer Hours. I saw that one. That was good. I I've not seen Summer it. Hours. I forgot they did 2006 uh, Paris Le Chatin. I fucking hate that. That's the worst, dumbest piece of shit that's ever been created. <laughs> okay. I fucking Relax. hate it. Why? Which one was the worst segment of it? All of them. Was one of them, did Natalie Portman direct one, I think? Yes, I think that's why I was dragged to it to begin with. Uh Oh, I fucking hate this. I've, oh, I've never God. watched any of these. Those are the things where I like I'll search a director's name or something or an actor, just trying to find something next in their filmography to watch, and those come up very often. That and the New York one, you know, there's a Tokyo one, I think. Just because they have so many directors and actors of them that they happen to pop up a lot. Ugh. <laughs> What's the story? I want to hear why you uh, hated it so much. I was just dragged to watch it, and I was just fucking miserable for ha- like eight hours or however fucking long it was. Okay, not that long. How did Wes Craven end up being one of these four directors? There's not four. <laughs> there's like 20. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. I definitely thought it was way fewer. The Tokyo one's like four. Yeah, because I was much more sane. This is like... This is... 18 or 20 or some shit. <laughs> Fucking is, awful. Did y'all know that there's a 2019 Berlin I Love You? No, but I, you know, I'm, I'm glad that they didn't give up after the, the three I named because it was felt like that'd be uh, forfeiting. Was it just <laughs> the length you didn't like, Aaron? I just, just what's the fucking point of like a bunch of fucking short films in a row. Like, what's the point of this? Why does it exist? Who fucking cares? Okay, I can't. I can't yeah. address that analysis. Yeah, man. Uh, I I used to love the short film parts of film festivals. Might go to because you go see a lot of stuff in two hours. Yeah, I like yeah. a short. This is just the same shit over and over again. Though. Like. I just, I you know, I'm a simple man. I just want a fucking story. Just tell me a story. I think I said that on the podcast and you got mad at me about it. No, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> Remember who I it was uh we were talking about the CM Punk and MGF story and I said, see Aaron, I think you kinda like a simpler story. And you went, Nate, I did notice that you called me simple. <laughs> well, that's different. You called me simple. I mean This was like three weeks ago. Uh, buddy, I went to Egypt in the interim there to totally wipe my brain of all things before that. <laughs> 
So you have to the, divide. You have to divide. Except Aaron's this life fucking between. short film anthology. <laughs> the Tokyo one was Bong Chun Ho, which is where I most I had I had been looking at everything he did, and then Michelle Gondry. Remember that guy, and yes. Leo Leos Carax. Yeah, Leo Carax. Alex, Alex Christophe Dupont, best known as Leos Carax. Yeah, a French structure, I believe. I used to. There was like oh, he did time... Holy Motors. I've seen Holy yeah. Motors. He did Holy Motors. Uh, he, I, I think that is a lot stronger of a director group than Paris. I mean, Paris, like, well, yeah, even though he is just too many. Yeah. And okay, that's some... what I'm saying, folks. And it's like I'm <laughs> getting shouted down. It's too many. I, I think I it's because it's 20. I, him down. I, I think it's because it's 20 and they're all kind of about the same thing. You want some variety there. That's and... actually not even what you said. I said, Aaron, was it just the length that you didn't like? And you were like, what is the point of it? Why are you doing so these short films in, or in a sequence? And you, you could have just said, yes, it was just the length of it. But that's not what you said. Well, because I just think it's a stupid idea. Like, it's not like, <laughs> it's not like when it's, okay, it's fucking, you know, when I was a film pervert and it's like Oscar season and you get like the five animated shorts, you know? in a row it's like yeah okay i got five totally different things this lasts like i don't know 45 minutes or whatever and the whole fucking thing's over sick i'm in but this was just one fucking boring piece of shit after another <laughs> awful are you familiar Ever? with uh the idea of a hikikomori aaron i'm i mean no i'm not well, that's what the bong chun ho segment of the tokyo film is about it's uh it's a shut-in someone who's not left their apartment oh. in a very long time hmm. i'm i'm interested except no it's related <laughs> to this other thing so this, fuck this, no this sounds this sounds appealing to aaron oh god i don't know it just like i've seen lots of movies i hated in my life mm -hmm. i've walked out on lots of movies well there's also I mean, Paris is kind of kind of a hack city, right? Yeah, go it's to a real city. Romance. Uh, it's, it's really the Sambi Guevara and Ty Conti of cities. You know, yeah. I, I see what... But doing... I, a, yeah, do, I mean... It's really... New the, York really is also... It's the Christian kind of cage of cities, a, honestly. Also kind of hack to do a New York one. Now, Berlin, that's an idea. That's something original. Yeah, I didn't think Berlin was that romantic. No, which is why maybe you have some more interesting stories. Yeah, I mean, that they would have to... I'm trying to think what would be, like, the, the interesting one to the United States. Like, not New York, though. Not New York. Yeah. It'd have to be something off the board. Okay, we've probably done enough on um, this <laughs> anthology film or whatever. I'm trying to, is there like a, a, is there one producer that puts these all together? It doesn't seem like it. It seems like all these people independently did these city-based anthologies. All right, I'm done. It's my fault. I've wanted to talk about Alice doesn't live here anymore and neither of you ever even seen it. So it didn't fucking matter. Go watch it. It's good. Six, uh, after hours i think that was the last scorsese i watched that was the last one you watched you yeah i mean i didn't i didn't watch it with his, his, i didn't watch it with his new aaron 
It was <laughs> you missed the rest of his career. <laughs> it was the most recent. It was the one I most recently watched. <laughs> I just love the idea that you like started at the beginning and you're like, eh, you know, I think this is good. Yeah, I'm hey, done. You know, I, I, I don't want to submerge back to uh, Paris. <laughs> I love you. But I'm looking at the guy who created the series uh, Wikipedia page, and it is fucking insane. Like, oh, how did you find it? Because I didn't find a link to it from the Tokyo one. Uh, his name is Emmanuel Benaby. He it, he graduated from management school, and he did a study abroad, or he was working in Japan, and he was studying languages, and he decided that he wanted to do this series where the universality of love and major cities across the world, each one's a collective, oh God. composed of no fewer than 10 segments created by directors around the world. The upcoming ones, guys. Los Angeles, oh. Shanghai, Jerusalem, Venice, before they're going to Delhi, Marseille, and New Orleans. New oh, Orleans. So- so Tokyo is not actually one of them. It's it's an independent thing. Okay. Out of the canon. Out of the, fa- the cities of love it. canon. Cities of love. See, that's just the the the, the premise is fault is flawed from the beginning. That's just a shitty hack premise. Cities of love. Yeah, throw them all in the bin. I hope he dies. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite Scorsese? Uh, probably good fellas. Yeah, you're agreeing, Mike. Yeah, I love Goodfellas. I think that's right. my favorite one. I mean, it. you know, it's not the most interesting pick, but it's the most honest. Yeah, like some of his documentary work was really cool, but I mean, like, uh, I it sounds like you have a different one, Aaron. But like either that or Mean Streets, I really liked Mean Streets. Uh, yeah, I'm a I'm a king of comedy guy. Oh, that's oh. my favorite i haven't seen king of comedy and i love goodfellas but just a big king of comedy fan. i mean there's a lot of good ones in there he, he went on yeah, a pretty, run pretty pretty little decent director <laughs> did, he, did a good one or two along the way age of i'm a big age of innocence guy mm. but i'm uh I, yeah I, second place for me definitely hugo hugo okay yeah not really okay oh i was just i'm being sincere i was trying to yeah no i was trying to communicate that that was a joke and i I didn't really get there (laughs) all right casino also it's good you know i didn't like casino as much oh god come on nate (laughs) (laughs) just you know the whole the sharon stone stuff really that is great but the whole the the, you know (laughs) there's a theme to this podcast episode the whole, you know, jilted love angle of Casino didn't uh, didn't grab me. Yeah, the the uh, theme of this episode is Nate and I just do not like the same things. <laughs> That's the theme of this podcast, I think. Yeah, sure. Okay, we got a whole fucking show left to talk about. <laughs> well, we talked about a lot of it. Really thought, I thought you were going to come in here like a house on fire, Aaron, and be like, all right, I'm refreshed and ready to go. Let's fucking get some podcast out. Let's crash the boards on this thing. I've done two podcasts already. Nate. Done two? Oh, I did, not today. You did You did two of our Patreon ones. I did World Tour and Light already since I've been back. So that's Mike, where I, you can or, catch my energy. I gotcha. Okay. Uh, CM Punk. 
I, you know, I've tried to get FTR gut and FTR cut over. It doesn't appear to have worked. People have been back to saying FTR bald. Very disappointed about that. Uh, I've been really faced with the fact this week that I have no influence even on our listeners. <laughs> yeah, thank goodness. <laughs> no, they, none of them like Brian Pillman Jr. I did like Brian Pillman Jr. on this show. Yeah, he he, yeah, he was, was good. good. That was a good match. I think anyway. both those guys they wrestle with with like good babyface emotion. I mean, I say this every time, but you know, when Brian Pillman Jr. hits a little move on Brian Danielson, he like celebrates it. He's like, "Yes, I got one in on him," or like, you know, when he's going for a pin on Danielson, Garrison's like in the corner. Garrison's like living and dying with the the count, and when he kicks out, he's like so bummed. Just good. You know, emotions on their sleeves, baby faces. Even when they do like little tags, they just put their whole body into it. Yeah, they're good. Uh, Punk and go that far. guy from FTR, Punk won with the Anaconda device. Yeah, this was good. FTR went a little Chris Benoit in this match. Did a couple diving headbutts. Uh, he did the snot spot that Chris Benoit used to do. He does really high chops, kind of like Chris Benoit also. You know, a lot of people will put the put the chop lower on the pectoral, but he really gets up there toward like the neck. I don't know. Maybe that's how he gets such a good sound for him. Um, but yeah, I mean, crowd went apeshit for this match. Uh, and it, yeah, it was pretty good. Like, I, you know, FD, I knew FDR was going to go in there and just pound the guy with his strikes. Uh, and And that was going to make it good regardless of whatever they did and that's what happened i this is the match and they are trying to turn ftr babyface on me like not towards the crowd but like personally get me behind ftr i I think also toward the crowd though yeah i i mean i'm secondary in this although i should be primary that they they should be fucking towards me but this match rocked. Like they were able to do like the right things. The ass boys in the crowd were over. Dax going sicko mode with all the headbutts. Like it wasn't just like doing like one and getting out of there. Like he went for it several times. The crowd really brought like energy. I was like, oh, are they up for this or for the rest of the show? Ended up being the rest of the show. And we got to see my favorite dumb spot in wrestling right now: the dipshit suplex over the top rope, hitting the apron all the way down. So I had a good time with this. I got a work call like at this. Right, it's 7.55, and I missed the first like eight minutes of this match, so I don't really have an opinion about it, except it sounded like the crowd was into it. Uh, that's good. I'm glad to hear that FTR is bringing back that Chris Benoit feeling to wrestling. We really need that. I mean, so. there was, at the midpoint of this match, I was like, oh, I wonder if they're redoing the, the Benoit versus Bret Hart, Owen Hart Memorial match, if they're just recreating that uh, with... Uh, Punk is Bret Hart and and FTR is Benoit. Uh, you know, because they do that all the time now. So they'll quote some Bret Hart match and then somebody will compare the video on Twitter. I don't think they were, but I did have that suspicion for a second. Uh, yeah, then we had Jericho backstage with the Jericho Appreciation Society, which was created while I was away, apparently. Um and yeah, then the tornado tag match, uh, Sting and Matt Hardy pinned Private Party with a Scorpion Death Drop Twist of Fate combo. I guess in a tornado tag, no one's legal, so you can just have two people pin. Hey, it seems like a double the win, really. Only need yeah. to pin one, so. It should go in the record books as two wins. 
I mean, uh, I think that's a good match idea. You know, get as many falls as you can in the finishing oh, yeah. stretch, and that goes in your record book. Like, that's, that's smart. Yeah, they should do that. FTR's backstage. I'm just going to keep going with it. FTR Cut says, the ass boys are still puppies in this business, and they're still wetting the bed. Not really sure. Yeah, but this that. was them. You know, they're programmed against a heel team now, and they were like set up as the baby faces in this promo. So I did not think they were turning FTR when they fired Tully, but this is kind of week two of it now. So maybe they are more attempting to. And it's something that like, even though the firing was dumb and abrupt, like just like thinking back, like they've been getting more and more like about our family, like the way we are in North Carolina over the last few months. So it's something where the firing still feels so abrupt, but I guess like they're trying, they're going to call back to that. That's going to be the thing that everyone calls back on and say, "Oh, this face turn's been in the works for months." Oh yeah, I just gotta read the the FTR thread whenever that's posted. Mox and Danielson versus Varsity Blondes. Nate said that Varsity Blondes were the best team in this match. Uh, Mox tapped out Griff Garrison. Yeah. Um... Yeah, it was good. <laughs> they gave Varsity Blondes more than they gave the Workhorsemen the other week. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, probably makes sense for how they kind of have them slated. You know, William Regal still kind of like him on the commentary. Yeah, he popped me when he said Young Garrison. But, like, for some reason, like, that phrase popped me that way. Uh, it just was, like, a really fun, like, like, whatever we thought this match was going to be like, it ended up being that way. Uh, getting to the post match stuff, Julia staying, uh, sitting on the turn or on the ring steps the entire time, building up the the false hope of people that the goop has made her violent. Yeah, Ben, that goop has been simmering for everybody else. Got over the goop in like two weeks, but Julia has been milking the goop, giving her a bad attitude. She's had a bad attitude on Dark and Elevation this week. She cheated there. She she cheated Nate to win a match. Hmm. Cheerleader corruption live on TBS. <laughs> uh, Mox had a post-match promo where he apparently coined the team name, the Blackpool Combat Club. Uh, and he says, if anyone wants a badge of honor from the Blackpool Combat Club, there's only one way to get it. The hard way. Yeah. Yeah. I, this was, you know, functional, fine. The act is very over. It's a it's a cool little act. Um, all of the promos since it's been formed have been worse than the promos that Moxley and Danielson were doing before their match. Um, and it's a, it's all largely been about William Regal. <laughs> the unit name is also about William Regal, but theoretically they're going to be adding young guys to it, and the young guys are all going to benefit from that association, and it's going to be about getting all these young guys over from it. So I, I think they're just, you know, building up to that stage. So it's all, it's all really fine. Yeah. The name's not bad. I, it's a name that you can imagine a pro wrestling T style logo on. It'll sell a bunch of t-shirts. It didn't bother me too much. Uh, it, it, it's something where like, yeah, like they've now veered so heavily into William Regal at this point that it kind of like lost, like, the, the thing that Danielson wanted to form this group now, it feels like it's William Regal's doing everything, and Danielson is just there to kind of nod and say, yep, listen to my daddy. 
we we're going to form a fighting group. We're the back. We're the Blackpool Combat Club. I just hate Regal, so it it's just I it just makes me it sours me on the whole deal because it's so much about Regal. I just don't care. MJF was in the ring. He said Wardlow wasn't good enough to beat Scorpio Sky. He had Punk beat, but Punk cheated. And when there's another match, he's going to give him the most embarrassing loss of his career. Says Wardlow's a pig. He's never letting him out of his contract. He owns Wardlow, and he's going to pay him to stay home. Wardlow, not very happy about this. Uh, you know, it was your your favorite recent trope, Nate, with the uh, local talent security guys. Uh, but they were actually able to hold Wardlow back in this instance for some reason. Well, it's because he had the the second supply of secret security guys. So MJF, watching the product, has learned the lesson that wrestlers can run through, you know, five or six security guys. So you have to have the first wave, and then you have to have a secret second wave that springs out from the shadows once he's running wild on the security. So it was a pretty cool visual, though this the second special secret ones, like basically all like kind of acting as clay i'm trying to think what video game would have like that like that happened like souls like sucking wardlow down it was kind of uh kind of gothic in that way that thought was kind of cool uh did notice that who was the head of that second secret security squad nate i uh, didn't nobody jumped out to me oh it, it's the same security guard they have actually working their show I was like oh he, he oh. jumped in on this too <laughs> okay so, yeah hey we've got some uh continuity on the cast then yeah but the visual of warlow being held down by like 20 people was set uh the best friends are backstage trent says he never liked wheeler and if wheeler wants to be in the tough guy club he's done with him uh wheeler says he's trying to be the best wrestler he can be not the best friend that's just you know exactly why he liked trent is he just cuts right to it he's like oh yeah your little tough guy club that's cool that's just just why Trent occupies a unique space in wrestling. And you're like, yes, that's that's fucking Trent right there. Um, so, yeah, this was a good they they built this whole Wheeler, Yuta and Trent thing on BTE for weeks and weeks. And then we got the segment last week and Trent called them out for it. And this is a, a positive development. Yeah, I thought this was a solid segment. Uh, Trent does play that role really well and it's kind of funny that like if they really wanted to get into it trent was in fcw at the same time as them and they could they could play off of that if they so choose with how much they're doing wwe stuff lately so they could but i thought this was successful adam cole versus jay lethal was next cole won with the boom after a low blow after the match uh cole said adam page is a coward who won't face the three of us page came out a brawl ensued Jungle Boy came out, uh, and at the end, we all we have Adam Page leaving. No, Adam Cole leaving. The Adam, it just fucks me up when I'm writing these notes sometimes. Adam Cole leaving with the AEW men's world title. Yeah, speaking of doing WWE stuff all the time, this was them doing Ring of Honor stuff all the time. And it felt like talking about the Ring of Honor history for 80% of the match. That might be another... Uh, 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 number influenced by me watching through the whole ad break, but I, I feel like I heard about every single one of their matches against each other from Ring of Honor and their aggregate title reigns and their total title reigns, um, which is good. 
it's good to acknowledge the wrestling world. It's good to acknowledge their history. It's good to put people over as champions. Um, but yeah, I was just like, yeah, th- this is extremely ring of honor, man. I know. It, it's something where it's not just like in this match, Nate, though, like th- they constantly have made this like a big point on whenever Tony Schiavone does entering interviews on dark with people who are formerly ring of honor. Like they make a big point of that, like almost to the point that I feel like that I'm like two weeks into thinking that we are being, uh, we're getting exposure therapy ready for a ring of honor versus AEW feud. Like, like I feel like we're getting like the light exposure that's going to lead up to this game really heavy that, Tony's going to want to do an innovation feud. Like, I think that that that's something that he wants to prove he can do right. So I feel like that we're starting to kind of, at least that was like an impression. It's like they're talking about it all the time. Yeah. Well, and, you know, Tony also likes his wrestling history. We know he likes Ring of Honor. And now he's he's bought more wrestling history that AEW didn't have before. So it all makes sense. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Um, that would, it that would kind of priming the pump just for Ring of Honor being a, relevant promotion in this other promotion well i kind of thought his comments today suggested that he's uh, pretty clearly trying to get somebody to give him money to put ring of honor on television so certainly getting putting them on television on AEW uh, would be helpful toward that i'm sure so right yeah that wouldn't surprise me at all i hadn't thought of that but it would not surprise me uh, we had a video for a new feud between Lance Archer and Dustin Rhodes. Uh, yeah, so they're going to have a match. Dustin Rhodes, the best yeller in wrestling. Yeah. Like old yeller, Dustin, Dustin Rhodes. <laughs> yeah, old yeller. I'll take that. I, that works. Uh, yeah, I, I've... Like they're in Austin, they're taping this match in Austin. Makes sense. Yeah. Even if it's not a program for like a one-time thing, you're gonna have Dustin Rhodes yell at a camera about a match, and I thought like that that was kind of it, it was worth it. And you had Archer bring up the Rhodes family name, and Dustin flip out about that. That thought was kind of interesting. But yeah, I thought this was a success. I uh, think we had the Leyland Red Velvet match uh, that we talked about. Uh, Jade Cargill was backstage. Uh, she would like a celebration with a lot of green things. Going for 30 and 0. Got to celebrate it. She wants That's to have right. Lamborghinis. She wants to have a special daddy's area. Yeah, I thought it was, it's been very effective. I mean, they've done this now for several weeks now. I'm wondering, like, are they, they trying to tap into how Tony Khan thinks? Makes you think that they're going to bring someone in big for the 30th match, right? Well, yeah, th- this was... This was nothing as a segment. The only thing that was here was, well, they've been talking about 30-0 a lot, and she's already planning her celebration before the match happens. So is she losing, or is this a a, a double swerve where they're setting us up to think she's losing and she's just going to beat whoever? Um, but yeah, knowing Tony, that does seem like the most Tony move would be, hey, we have a big challenger. It's going to be somebody new. It should be Goldberg. Should be Goldberg, but I think he's got. I think he's got one more Saudi match on his contract, and a stupendous mania. That's right. Uh, yeah. Then they had the Thunder Rosa and Vicky and Nyla segment, and then the main event, which you also already talked about with uh, Jericho and Garcia against Silver and Reynolds, and and Daniel Garcia uh, picked up the win with Red Death. 
Yeah, it's good we talked about uh, Olivier Assayas for that long. Thank God. Uh, if you enjoy our show, best way to support it, only real way to support it, is go to patreon.com slash everything elite. Sign up. We got lots of stuff. As I said, I already done two podcasts over there since I got back with Mike. Uh, we did World Tour where we talked Rampage and I gave my very cold revolution takes. Uh, we did Light where Mike said the phrase King Pussy Eater. So if you've ever wanted to hear Mike say that, hop on our Patreon. That's probably the best selling point I've ever had for our Patreon, really. Oh, how you've discovered that I will cite things, even if it's something that you think would be out of color for me to say. So you've successfully gamed this over the last, uh, well, you discovered about this on the Rampage thing. So this is really a two-show storyline. that we're Yeah, it on. rocks. I'm going to try to keep it going. So uh, we do that. We'll do those again next week. I think it's uh, Nate and me talking Rampage this weekend. We're talking Rampage. That's right. Uh, and Star not Aaron Aaron Bentley. <laughs> talking rampage fuck it rhymes with bentley that's a tough well, one darby and andrade what what that's <laughs> you know how rhyming our... works mike well no i don't okay <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm still working on a rhyme over here. i know i was look. i could see it on your face i guess the listeners could have uh at hopefully mike and i are hopefully gonna get this is sting part two out soon uh we'll see when that's coming but we're working on that it'll be out at some point uh so join us we have a discord it's a lot of fun we got other fun stuff planned for april and i got a, a fun one in the in my back pocket for may so subscribe now to hear that in may <laughs> <laughs> patreon.com slash everything elite the show nate and i will be talking about this weekend rampage from cedar park texas we got Ricky Starks versus Isaiah Swerve Strickland, Dustin Rhodes versus Lance, Ar Lance Archer, Alan Angels and 10 versus Red Dragon, Nyla Rose will be in action, and QT Marshall will give Hook the Certificate of Accomplishment. Biggest pop on the show was for Hook's Rampage appearance. He's a star. Uh, I didn't, see, I guess, Swerve wrestled while I was gone, so I haven't seen him yet, so I'm excited to uh, to see this match. Yeah, he, he's, he's come off like a star ever since he's shown up, and, you know, it's a better match than him versus Tony Nese, by far. Oh, yeah, anything would be. I'm. This is, I assume, I, I guess I don't know, Nate, your thoughts, but I think this is a pro-Swerve podcast. Yeah, I've always been pro-Swerve. Always liked him. Liked him on the indies. Yeah. He's like cool. them, like them in Evolve. Yeah, that was a fun run. Uh, on Dynamite next week, which Mike and I will preview on Light next Wednesday morning, they'll be in Columbia, South Carolina. The matches announced so far are FTR versus the Gun Club and Darby versus Andrade. Like uh, a match I definitely have been excited about seeing since uh, the whole Mr. Stink angle started. Now, you didn't go back and watch the. Cracker Barrel Clash with Darby Andrade and Sammy, did you? No, I only watched Revolution. So unless it was on Revolution, I did not see it. No, yeah, I guess it wasn't on Revolution, but it was the same same city because it was live a couple days before, I believe. Good hmm. match. All right. Now, I've if, mostly, if you can believe it. 
The match that I haven't gone back to watch yet that I'm planning to is Emmy Sakura versus Chalance Royale on on Dark. There you go. They did. Uh, Jade made a reference to it'd be a celebration fit for a queen. Hmm. Does that mean Emmy Sakura is her thirtieth challenger? Hmm. With Rami Malek as Freddie Mercury accompanying her to the ring. What if? Okay, here's a good one. What if? Uh, Big speaking of swerve, what if it's Queen Charmel? <laughs> <laughs> you, you said Char, and I was oh Charlotte, sure you're married to Andrade. Uh, no, you, you got me with the Charmel. <laughs> well, you know she was just announced for the uh, WWE Hall of Fame. That's right. That's really. It's just every time now. I mean, I already hated when Jr. or anybody would reference somebody being a Hall of Famer. Just amplify that much more now that it's wow scott hall is a two-time hall of famer that means he's uh twice inducted in the same hallowed halls as queen charmel and the godfather yeah the godfather yeah so i think that'd be that'd be a cool one queen charmel versus jade that's what i'm rooting for i mean the the balance of power in wrestling would absolutely shift so yeah <laughs> uh all right Hey, uh, Booker T did. Who did he challenge? FTR to a match? Yeah, like Harlem Heat versus one? FTR. Yeah, oh. Harlem Heat versus FTR. Is Stevie Ray still out there working? Not. I don't often. know if he's working, but they did. They inducted him into the Hall of Fame. I think Stevie Ray has done some big time wrestling. I'm willing to bet. I'd be disappointed if he didn't. Uh, wait, who is this person? Real Stevie Ray. At. Yeah, I know you don't. Oh no, this is that guy. This that is Stevie Ray. Yeah, but oh, in ring experience, I can't read. Sorry, this was my problem. This was not <laughs> Cage Match's problem. I thought it was trying to tell me that Stevie Ray was thirty three years old, but it was just that he uh, had has thirty three years of wrestling experience. No matches on Cage Match since twenty seventeen. Hmm. That'd be a great comeback match. Man, where, where were you? Of honor. Where were you on December eleventh, two thousand one, when Stevie Ray wrestled Buff Bagwell in Cardiff, Wales? <laughs> well, let's see. It was three months after nine eleven. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can remember what I was doing for most of September two thousand one. Yeah, yeah. Um, don't really remember. Don't really remember December of that year. Uh, Stevie Ray's first match after 9-11 was against <laughs> Jerry Lawler in Perth. Wow. Was this, this was WWA? <laughs> What's that, Mike? Was this WWA? Like the... <laughs> yes, it was. Oh, God. Of course, Stevie Ray got the paychecks from WWA. All right, now looking at his cage match, he faced Buff Bagwell for like every night. <laughs> I know. Like since 9-11, he, it was usually, other than Jerry Waller, every single match I'm seeing is Buff Bagwell defeating Stevie Ray. And then yeah. Buff Bagwell and Ernest Miller defeating uh, Disco Inferno and Stevie Ray. We should see if we can get uh, TJ Hawk to do a, a match reviews book just focusing on people's first matches after 9-11. <laughs> 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 yeah, 
Yeah, I would. I would read that even if he didn't give me an advanced copy. I would buy a copy because I did know you, he wouldn't. Did you ever get an advanced copy of uh, the CM Punk and Brian Danielson book? No. I mean, it wouldn't have been an advanced copy anymore, even if he oh. had given me one. Wow, that's it'd be brutal. A, it'd be a post facto copy. <laughs> it'd be a, yeah. Yeah. Man, I'm sorry about Sorry to hear about that. That's right. I, I think it's a good idea, though. All right. I'm going to I'll pitch it uh, to, to TJ. Please do. We've, I've, this is the second time we, we've talked about him on a podcast today because this morning we were trying to decide whether TJ was a Terrence Malick head or not. Hmm. My dad's a big Terrence Malick head. Yeah? He loved Tree of Life. I'm, yeah, I'm a big Terrence Malick head. He raved about it. Wow. Yeah. TJ uh, responded that he believes Malick is the goat. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh we have Twitter at everything AEW. I'm at Aaron like the car. Nate's at Epitasis. Mike's at Fuji. Hey, subscribe to the podcast. Give us ratings and reviews that are good and positive and subscribe to the pod or no, not the podcast. Subscribe to the Patreon, patreon.com slash everything elite. This is a good, uh, this is a good hook for TJ. He can see what tree of life star, the great Kali's first match was after nine 11 <laughs> in review. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly right. Okay. Uh, I think that's it. So for Mike, for Nate, I'm Aaron. We'll see you next week.